0: there within my heart a melody jesus whispers sweet and To take your breath away. It does mine anyways. 398. There's no better person to follow than Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Down in the valley with my Savior I flowers are blooming and the sweet waters flow. Everywhere He leads me I will follow, follow on, walking in His footsteps till the crown be won. And the dark waters flow With his hand to lead me I will never, never fear Danger cannot frighten me If the Lord is near. Follow, follow I would follow Jesus Anywhere, everywhere I would follow on Follow, follow I would follow Jesus God, my Savior would my soul ever keep, He will lead me safely in the path that He had trod, up to where they gather on the hills of God. Father, again, thank you for letting us come to church tonight. I do pray that you bless the service tonight, Lord. Just a message and all those traveling back. Lord, we got a group of people headed out tomorrow, and uh, they'll be heading back. And uh, Lord, it's just a long trip. Uh, I know. I pray that they had a good weekend or a good week. And Lord, they come back refreshed. And Lord, you just uh, bless them now. Uh, be with us tonight as we finish up. I'm going to finish up tonight on what I started this morning, Lord and Father. I just pray now that you'd be with us tonight as we're here, and I'll uh, I'll praise you, and we'll praise you, and. Uh, We'll just look forward to your coming, Lord. If if there's ever a time to follow you, now's the time to follow. Uh, Lord, help us to just get in our hearts the things you'd have us to do. And we'll praise you and honor you in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. I I was going to let Andrew preach tonight, and I thought about this afternoon. I said, I need to really finish some of this stuff with Joseph. Uh, But this whole section, I'm sitting here looking at this section. This this is the section of people that deserted us. (laughs) I mean, you can see right here, it's like this front section. Uh, They're all in cahoots. Uh, Cause this side right here does pretty good, but this side right here and the back section right there does pretty good. But this little section right here, they're all like they're they got little clicks and stuff right here. This is all your clicky stuff, but it's it's fun, man. I tell you what, they're down there, they're having a good time, and uh, sometimes it's good just, just to get away and go someplace and have fun. Find out if there's other like-minded churches out there who uh, enjoy doing this stuff, and, and uh, it's that's a school down there where there 30 people graduated this time, but. There was a blind man that I mentioned this morning that just phenomenal. Uh, he lost his sight at 35. He was supposed to, the Lord, he said the Lord called him to preach when he was about 22, and he refused to do it, 2022, and he refused to do it because he thought he knew what was better for his life than what the Lord thought. And uh, he said he knew beyond a shadow of death the Lord called him to preach, and he didn't. He had a chromosome deficiency in his body, and he should have said he should have probably lost his life as he was younger, uh, but he didn't, and he went on. He didn't think he was going to do it. And he was going to be a programmer. And he goes, but the Lord had a different plan for my life than that. And it was just amazing as he went through and told his story. What, was, what got me more than anything else, uh, uh, Dr. Peacock asked me to be on the ordination committee, was that the fact that the man uh, was perfectly at peace and happy and thankful that the Lord allowed him to go blind. Now, you may think that's crazy, but here's a guy who sits there, and he's a pastor of a church out there in Idaho. And in all the circumstances of his life, he has to have his wife and his kids walk him around everywhere he goes. Uh, he can't go to the bathroom without them helping him get to the bathroom. He, she had to help him up on the platform, help him off the platform, and he goes, "It was a blessing." You know, he goes, "You know what a blessing was?" And he goes, "When my kids turned 16, and they could take the load off my wife some, um, and they started driving, it, and they could drive me around, and my wife didn't have to do it all the time." It wasn't that, hey, I want my sight back. He goes, "The first thing I'll ever see is Jesus Christ when I open my eyes in heaven." And I'm telling you, the guy, he said, "I'll be like Fanny Crosby," <laughs> and you couldn't stop the guy. You couldn't stop him. Hey, His his happiness, I mean, everybody, there was 12 of us on there, and and there was three or four or five of the teachers that taught the teachers of courses, and they all said the exact same thing everybody else said, that we should, he should be asking questions of us. The question is, is why don't we have what he has? Uh, Does it take that in our lives to get us to do that before we'll finally follow, follow Jesus? So uh, it was just an amazing thing. Sarah, did you get down? Yeah, we got another song. What are you doing? I was just, you got to have that break in there where you talk. We, we lost all of our musicians. We lost everything. So Sarah came in from Washington, and she's with us now permanently. Uh, and so we'll have more piano players, and we're going to get another organ player. I learned that today. I, I apologize to the church this morning, because I have uh, went down there and stayed the whole week also. But we like dessert, you guys. And uh, I, being back at this time, I'm watching the, the, the things that are missing. And uh, I'm going to correct that. It, it won't ever be missing again. So no matter what happens, uh, if anybody leaves or I leave, there's going to be adequate amount of everything uh, to cover every bass around. This year, a couple of the other people, like Jerry went down. He's, he plays a bass for them. And he's our organ player, so we need another organ player. But Sarah said she can play the organ. So uh, if we got another piano player, then we can put the piano player and the organ in here. And that makes a big difference. I like music. Take your song, folks. Let's do one more. Two, 272. And then uh, I'll bring the evening message real quick. 272. <clears throat> Amen. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Amen. You may be seated. Sorry, Andrew, but uh, I figured I'd just finish this up. I did start it. I was going to look at Daniel tonight, but I'm going to finish Joseph. Take your Bibles go to Genesis chapter 45. Uh, Joseph, to me, is one of the most interesting characters in our Bible. I always like Joseph. I like Daniel. Uh, I like men like this who, who, in the face of adversity, like that blind man down at, Brother Eric, down at uh, uh, Bible Baptist in Jacksonville, he, uh, he didn't look at his circumstances and let that hinder him. Uh, he looked at where he was at and took what he had. And it was amazing that Brother uh, Pilkington preached a message. Uh, the charge was preached by Brother Reagan for him since he was ordained and the brother Pilkin preached the message about the the Jews when they under Solomon had all the gold and everything else and and when they came in they started taking all that stuff away and they got the brass uh, the gold shields and the brass all the stuff taken and they ended up with brass shields and Pilkington preached a message that, hey, you may have brass shields now, and you may not have the gold ones anymore, and you may not have the silver ones. And everybody thinks, oh, we're going to go back. Well, you get the books. I love Jeremiah. Jeremiah and Ezekiel are becoming some of my favorite books. Because in, inside those books, everybody thinks, we're going to go back to the glory days, and it just ain't going to happen. I do, I do not ever foresee us ever going back to the ways it was in the, the Philadelphia church age. It's spotty through the churches maybe, but it's the whole thing as a whole. It's not because we got too much stuff going on. Uh, that's taken us away from that, and nobody wants to go back. It's going to take an act of the Lord to get in there to make that thing go back. It, our government is in the wrong place. Everything's not lined up the way it needs to be for that to happen. Uh, and God can do it in spotty areas. I still think it can happen in my heart. It can happen in your heart, but it's not going to happen as a whole. And and when he was preaching that message, he said, but if you got brass shields, polish them. Make them shine the best you can. He goes, the Lord knew you were going to be born in a time frame where there was brass shields. He knew the gold was going to be gone. The silver was going to be gone. And he's, at the end of that message, he goes, and you get to heaven. He said, you're going to have your little brass shield. I thought it was cute. He looked cute. Uh, y'all tell Brother Pilkington, I said he was cute. <laughs> but he had his little brass shield. He goes, he, says, uh, he goes, I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm going to get up here, and they're going to have all these gold shields. And I'm going to have my brass shield. And he goes, and uh, you know, I'm going to kind of hide it because that's all I had. And the Lord says, hey, Pilkington, what do you got? He goes, well, I got my little brass shield. He said, bring that thing out. He says, throw it in the fire. And he throws it in the fire, and it comes through. And on the other side, he picks it up and says, 24K across it. Hey. <laughs> he goes, the Lord said, hey, I know what you got. I know what you're capable of doing. Are you going to do with what you've got what you can? Yeah. It isn't that the, the, hey, there's great preachers out there. I'm not one. I'll never be one of those. I'm not even going to try I'm a plastic preacher, man. <laughs> We're past the brass. We're into the plastic now. Black. Everything's black. But it was funny. I thought it was funny. And I told my wife that. She said, you need to call him telling tell him to add that to his sermon. But I'm telling you, I, it's not that. It's just I see a progressive of, of the churches going down the hill. That's okay. Uh, I sit there, and then we had a visitor today, and I apologized to him. and said, hey, Moses, he's a colonel from the Air Force. He, he's retired. Uh, I, I said, well, I said you probably won't ever come back because I'm a sailor. And uh, Air Force and Sailors, we would have this fight, you know. And I said, we're, we're kind of equal, kind of. He was a captain and I was a chief. Uh, he was a full bird 06. I mean, a full bird 06. He's out there. Uh, and, and he was like, he said, brother, he said, I think I'm going to come back and try you guys out again. I said, but half our church is gone. They're not gone because they don't want to come to church. They're gone because they're in another church having fun. And I'm like, it, it, it's the strangest thing you'll ever see is half your church disappears and goes to another church. And the pastor's still happy about it. Uh, some of them can stay there. Man. <laughs> we can, you know what it does? It shows you a deficiency that you have that needs to be corrected. So correct the thing so that either church can have the fellowship they need to have, and still have the, and neither one of them suffer if anything happens. Joseph, Joseph. The reason I like Joseph is he reminds me of somebody just like that. He is not looking for the glory days under his dad. When Joseph becomes second to Pharaoh. After he gets sold by his brothers into slavery, the, the Midianites, and sell him to Potiphar. Potiphar's wife makes a pass at him, and Joseph does the best he can in the situation he's in, and, and he runs and he gets thrown into prison. All the way down, you never hear Joseph complain. All the way down, you never hear the, my Lord and Savior complain. He says, I, I come to do my father's will. You know what, most of the people, they don't know what the will of God is in their life. That's right. If we'd ever sit down and say, okay, what is the will of God in my life? Well, the will of God in my life, baby, he may have me over here polishing doorknobs. If that's what he wants me to do, and that's all I need to do for my entire life is spend two or three seconds polishing a doorknob, and that's all he wanted me to do. I did exactly what he said. He'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Yeah. If he wanted me to be a great preacher, he would have enabled me. I was talking to Brother Levi just before uh, church, or after church this morning, and he said, he goes, I like math just as much as I like English. And I understood exactly what he was saying. I hate both of them too. Uh, And English is worse. If you want to hear somebody slaughter the English language, and I'm not bragging about it, I'm just, that is where I'm at. And I tell the Lord all the time, I said, Lord, you chose the wrong guy. He goes, I know exactly who I chose. I said, but Lord, I don't. He goes, I know exactly who I chose. If I wanted a mathematician, which I could have been that, but he goes, if I wanted an English major, I would have chosen an English major. I didn't want an English major. There's other qualities that the Lord was looking at that needed to be used and utilized that those right there you can get by with. When you sit there and say, well, Lord, well, you know, Joseph had qualities that the Lord knew exactly what he had, but his brethren didn't see it. And what his brethren did was take him out. Genesis chapter 45, Joseph is sitting on, on the on the, uh, kind of like on a throne, and and his uh, 11 brothers are before him. Uh, They came once before, and and they admitted to themselves that they didn't think Joseph could understand, because they didn't know that was Joseph, and Joseph knew Hebrew, and and he also knew uh, Egyptian, and he's dressed up like an Egyptian, he looks like an Egyptian, they think he's an Egyptian, he's sitting second to Pharaoh. They would have never thought in a million years that their brother would ever live, number one, number two, that he would ever be elevated from a slavery position to second God can do some of the craziest things in this world. To second to the, the highest king on the planet at the time, which was a Pharaoh, all because of a dream. <laughs> you would say, "What did he do great? He just interpreted a dream. Pharaoh said, I had a dream, and nobody, and the butler just happened to be there. And well, the butler was already gone, and the uh, cupbearer, the great, the, uh, the cupbearer for the Pharaoh, said, Oh, I, I have a fault today, King. That was God removing the butler, the, the baker, or the butler's uh, mind, and he forgot all about it. He goes, King, I know a guy, he's down in our prison. He said, You ain't going to believe this. He said, This guy can tell you your dream. He goes, man, you remember two years ago and, and you had me and the baker thrown into prison? He goes, yeah. He goes, well, we both dreamed a dream in one night and this guy gave us the interpretation of what we dreamed. We didn't have a clue what that was. And, and sure enough, you raised up the butler, the baker and, and hung him and me, you brought back up and I'm still putting grapes in your cup today. He goes, are you sure? He goes, yeah. You know, the, the, the butler had to be in a place where the king trusted him enough that he would do that. It's a whole series of things that needed to fall right into place for the Lord to say, go get this guy out of prison. And and when the butler said that, the king says, go get him. They go down there and dress him up. You know what the Lord done for us? He done dressed us up. And he makes you look exactly like his son. And he sets you on a throne and he puts a ring on your finger, just like the prodigal son when he comes back. You know what he wants us to do is come back. Joseph was the first one to come back. But Joseph is the perfect picture of Jesus Christ. He is sitting on a throne... His brothers come to him the first time, 10 of them. And he said, ye are spies. You say, why would he do that? Well, he's trying to get you to realize that you got some problems. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what Joseph is doing. Joseph gets that, gets them. They go away scared to death. They got our brother. They kept him. Now there's only nine of us. And we're going to go back and tell our father. and He's not going to be happy. And he wants us to bring Benjamin. That's not going to make him happy at all either. And he's just not going to do it. So Judah goes back and tells him. And Jacob says, I'm not going to do it. Stubborn. But then you run out of food again. Isn't that amazing how God does things in our lives? Why do we as humans have to have things taken away from us before we love God? I remember I heard an old preacher one time. He's in a church preaching and the place was pretty full and Sunday morning service, a simple message, and he talked about it. He goes, he goes, Why? He talked about the invitation. He said, Why won't you come down to the altar and, in a church and get? We got air conditioning, we got heat or whatever. You got padded pews, we got all that stuff. It's nice and soft and cozy in here. It's comfortable. He said, the, the altar's comfortable. You come down here and get the thing right with God anytime. But he said, No, we won't do that. We'll wait till we're out in a wreck upside. The car's turned upside down. Gas is leaking all over the place. It's getting ready to blow up. And then we'll crowd, Oh, God. He goes, Why won't you do it when it's, it's nice and cozy? He goes, humans just aren't that way. We have to be kind of forced into it because we have a thing called free will and a free choice and a mind of our own. And the Lord, thank God that he takes time to change our mindset to where we start thinking about him. Joseph takes his 10 brethren, keeps one, puts him in prison and sends the other nine off and they start thinking. They sit there and said, in front of Pharaoh, in front of Joseph, we put him in a pit, we sold him to the Amalekites or whatever they were, the uh, Midianites. He said, and that's all they knew at that point. We took the, his coat of many colors, we ripped it up and dumped, dumped it in kids' blood, took it to our dad and said, is this Joseph's coat? They never said Joseph was dead. They just gave the impression that he was. You know, so many times in our lives we do stuff that we never sin as far as saying something that is wrong. We just allow something to go forward that isn't right, and we know it. We don't do anything about that. And when we should do something about that, they didn't. They let their dad for 25 years think Joseph was dead. You know, the Lord can resurrect things in our lives at any given time. A lot of people think Jesus is dead. They're going to be sadly mistaken one day. <laughs> Christ, Christ's compassion goes, number one, I'd like to say he has a great compassion. Uh, chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph is sitting here and his brothers come back and, and Jacob finally out of food, uh, no more stuff. Judah said, look, I, he said, I'll give you my two sons and I'll leave them here. And, and father, if I don't come back with, Joseph, with, with Benjamin, you can kill my two sons. He'll t- he said, I'll take full responsibility for Benjamin. And he knew exactly what he was doing when he did it. He gets there and... Joseph starts looking, and he sees his brethren. and they still don't know who he is. I'll bet you the whole time they were gone, Joseph was probably waiting to see his brothers. He probably even went down and talked to, I think it was Simeon that they kept. He probably went down and talked to him, never revealed himself to him, but just looked at him and said, hey, hey, it'll be okay, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. through an interpreter, they'll be back, they'll come back to get you. He probably didn't believe it, but sure enough, they came back. Well, we didn't, we didn't take care of Joseph, why would they take care of me? If that's the people I'm trusting to take care of me, and one of my brothers, I was in cahoots with them to throw him in a pit and sell him for a few bucks that's been gone years and years ago. You know, we do stuff at the time sometimes that we'll down the road regret, but the Lord always wants you to bring that out. 45 says, then Joseph could not refrain himself, went off and started crying when he seen his brothers because he was so excited about seeing them and his heart was breaking for him and they did something to him that caused him that they thought cost him everything. And in the end, it 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 was a, a a oh man it's it's a it's a plan of God that blessed him beyond any measure that put him in a place that he could now not only save their lives and the whole purpose was to save the lives of Israel. You know when Lot got in there the, the he would have Abraham sitting there talking to the Lord about Sodom and he says if there's fifty righteous will you destroy the place if there's fifty righteous he said Abraham for fifty I won't destroy the place. In the conversation with Abraham, the Lord was sitting there willing to let a, a city of wickedness and lewdness and filth survive if there was 50 people there that was righteous for Abraham. The Lord isn't in this world to destroy the place. He's in here to gain people back, but some people just will not go back. And it got down to four that left, and then three ended up on the side of a mountain. But his, conversation, his compassion... God's love is greater than our sin. Romans 3:11, sometimes, I like that verse. It says, There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. We're in a place when we're lost, just like his brothers are. They could not seek God. They didn't even know how to seek Joseph. They didn't know he existed. But the Lord has a He has strange ways of, of doing stuff to make you understand He's there. People say, How did you get saved on a back porch in Louisville, Kentucky? I don't know. I don't know whether something happened when I was 12 and 13 and 14 or 15 and started changing my life to where I started thinking. But from the time I was 12 to 22, the whole thing in my world started flipping around. I remember one day I was driving down the road and I had a 66 Chevy 2 Nova. Fenders were all flapping on the front. I mean, it's a piece of junk, man. The thing should have been in the junkyard back then. But it got me around, the, and driving down seven, uh, 65 to, toward Louisville, the engine had an inline, v, uh, inline six banger, and it was rod knocking like it's getting ready to go right. Knock, 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 knock. I'm like, man, this thing ain't going to last another 15 minutes. And I'm sitting there and said, oh, Lord, I'm lost as anything. And I'm sitting there and said, oh, God, I wish somebody had hit this thing and total it out. And I get off on Fern Valley and come around the loop, and the light's green, and I take off through the light, and this guy runs a red light and totals my car out. Well, it was already totaled before he hit me. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, I get out, and he just got his car out of the shop. I mean, it was, it was, it was one of these uh, muscle cars back then, but I mean, he just had it painted. It was beautiful. It was. The whole front end now on his car is smashed. I get out of my driver's seat. Nobody's hurt. And I go out and sit on the hood and lay down and just start busting out laughing in the intersection. And that guy had no clue. He thinks I'm laughing at his car. I'm not laughing at your car. First of all, I'm bigging at him. He didn't mess with me. And he hit me, it was his fault, and there was all kinds of witnesses. And I'm sitting there, I'm laughing, and I'm like, I just asked for that, it happened. I said, that's the weirdest thing in the whole wide world. I still didn't know who God, I knew who God was. I did not know who Jesus Christ was. I didn't know who Jesus Christ was until 1980, and I really started reading that book and find out who he was. I knew of him, but didn't know him. He does the weirdest things as time goes on. That, that helps you start seeing him. Uh, another time I was driving down the road, and I seen a guy with a flat tire, and, and uh, some inside. I said, hey, pull over and help that guy. And I said, but I, okay, well, I'll go down the road about a half a mile in front of him, pull over, flag him down. He's still driving down the road on a rim on the front, and I have a tire, and it fits his car, and we change it out. He goes, hey, I'll bring that back to you. I thought this guy, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, that guy, bring, I said, he'll never bring that tire back, so I forgot all about it. sure enough, one day, I'm sitting at the house, I said, yeah. He goes, you remember me? I said, yeah, you're the guy I gave that spare tire to. He gives me my spare tire back. He said, I told you I was going to get four new tires. Come look. He, and he had four brand new tires on his car. He said, I really want to thank you. And it, little things like that, the Lord starts thinking, making you think about helping people. And seeing. And he starts make, magnifying himself. And That's what Joseph was doing to his brethren when they first came. He made them go away and made them realize that, hey, sin costs you something. But they still didn't know who Joseph was. They're sitting there looking at him like he's Pharaoh. And he's much more than that. And then the Lord starts peeling the facade away from Joseph little by little so these brothers can see who he is. You know, you still, I like, I like that verse, we, John, uh, 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. You know, when I really stop and think about Jesus Christ, I'm thinking about all the things he did to love me when I was unlovable. And yet he loved me. All the things he could have done, but he didn't. And you talking about compassion. It goes so far beyond compassion. There is no, I'm, I'm black and white. I'm sorry. There is no middle ground to me. So don't come to me for anything in the gray area. I don't believe in a gray area, except for a starting point. You start here and go to the one side or the other. Uh, when I started thinking about the Lord, I cannot stop. I don't want to stop because I know which way I was headed, and I'm not headed that way. I'm in the black. I believe there's a gray line, and real quick off that line, it's like Revelation says over there. He says, I would that you were cold or hot. You're sitting on a fence post, man. Get one way or the other. As soon as you get off that fence post, you're either on one side or the other. And you choose the side you want to be on. The Lord takes a long time to let you sit on that fence post until you get really tired of that fence post. And then Romans chapter 1, and we will have class Thursday night, uh, so we'll be here. But you're sitting on that fence post, and he makes the choice, and he says, do you want me or a reprobate mind? And it's a long way to both either, either place. When I first got off that fence post, probably 10, 11, 12 years old, and started headed toward the Lord, it took me another 10, 11, 12 years to get there. And then when he finally got me there and I was ripe and ready to pick, he picked me right off the tree himself. And you say, why would he do that? Because he wants to make sure that you really understand what you're doing. And if this is a lifelong adventure, and it, I've got the greatest adventure in life. I, I mean, after 42, I wouldn't change one thing. Actually, before 42, I wouldn't change it either. Because there's little things back in there that, uh, man, that you do that you wish you didn't have, wouldn't have done. And you can't go back and change them, no matter how bad you try. I did something one time, and I thought, well, hey, I, I was in the Navy for a couple, two or three years, and... And uh, I did something, I borrowed something, and I I never took it back. And when I did get a chance to take it back, uh, the company was closed down. I couldn't even take it back. And I still got uh, those two C clamps over my house, and every time I see them, the Lord says, you remember those? I said, yeah. I said, I took them out of the company, and I was using them and never took them back. He goes, yep, you're right. He goes, and you still got them? I said, yeah. I still use them, but I can't take them back. The place is closed down. It's been closed down for 25, 30 years. There's nothing you can do about it. Sometimes sin will remain forever. And these boys, they're going to find out shortly that uh, it's going to, they're going to come face to face with their sin. And their sin is never going to go away. Uh, it'll go away. Here, I heard an a, a illustration one time. A little boy was, little boys do this all the time. and My mom says I deserve everything I get. Uh, and She's right. But uh, dad was trying to get his son to see what was going on. He said, look, every time you mess up, I'm going to take a nail. And on the front porch, he had a post and he'd drive a nail on that post. And pretty soon that little boy got the idea because there's like hundreds of nails in his post. And he got the idea that, hey, I put every nail there. And he goes, Dad, what can I do to get rid of those? He says, well, every time you do something good, I'll take one out. And so the boy starts doing stuff good and all the nails are taken out. The last one comes out and the boy goes, Dad, they're all gone. He goes, yeah, but the holes are still there. They never go away. No matter what you do, you can sand it down, you can fill them, you can paint the post. Uh, the, The weather will rot and everything else. The paint will come off and the hole will still be there. It never goes away. Sometimes in our mind, we do stuff. The best thing to do is not do it, but that makes you love him. He, I love him because he first loved me. Compassion. You see his compassion. Joseph is sitting there talking to his brothers and they still don't know who he is. He walks away crying. He says, cause every man, he's talking to the uh, uh, Egyptians at that point. He says, cause every man to go out for me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. You know when Jesus makes himself known to you, the world is gone. It's not between you and him anymore. It's between you. It's not, but the world's not there anymore. He moves that thing out, and you come face to face with a Savior. And you, when you meet Jesus Christ, there is nobody like that. You never have to. You're going to look at him in awe. I could imagine those boys. All, all, they weren't boys anymore. They were men. I could imagine all ten of them, even uh, Benjamin. Looking at him like all of a sudden we threw him in a pit. And he's second to Pharaoh. And he's going to kill us. <laughs> and each one of them in their own mind is sitting there repenting all over the place and blood all over the floor. And, there's just, and Joseph's tears run down his face. And he's sitting there looking at them and they still have not understood love. They still do not understand caring. They do not understand compassion. And here's a man right in front of him that is just oozing that stuff out. And all the stuff they did over the years of of things and, and that stuff at nighttime, I bet you they'd wake up and they'd think about Joseph in that pit every now and then, and then they'd blow it off like it was nothing. And Joseph's over here in the thing. I don't know if he ever thought about his brethren throwing him in the pit. It never says anywhere in your Bible that that's what he was concerned about. He did say a couple times he was sold into slavery trying to get out of it, but he he never did really complain about them guys throwing him in a pit. And here's a man, after going through all these stuff that that he went through for 25 years, sitting at the throne, second in command. Pharaoh's daughter, he married her, had a couple kids. He's in charge of everything because the Lord put him in a place. Time and chance happen to every man. You don't have to ever worry about anything when it comes to the Lord. You got your brass shields, be happy with your brass shields. Don't try to make them gold. They're not gold, they're brass. They're not going to be gold anymore, they're brass. Shine them up, polish them up, make them look the best you can, use them. Because when darts come, a brass shield will start, stop a dart, fiery dart, just as good as anything else. Joseph acted roughly toward his brethren in Genesis 42, 7. He spake roughly to his brother because he loved them. And it ended up turning out. God in his love allows problems. He allows problems in our lives sometimes. Number two. You got to wait till conviction sets in. You know, it's a good thing to be convicted. Be sure your sin will find you out. I do a lot of stuff sometimes. And I start thinking about that thing, and the Lord says, You sure you want to do it this way? I was, I was sitting there and, and I bought some lamps, and, and I could do it one way, and I just didn't feel good about it. And the Lord said, You sure you want to do it that way? I said, No. I sit in front of a computer. I found somebody on Amazon selling them. I said, Just send them to me, but 80 bucks. 60, 70, 80 dollars. I could the other way I could have got them for free. But the Lord said, You sure you want to do that? He goes, It just don't look right when doing it. That. I said, Yeah, and you know, nobody knows about it but me and the Lord. But I'm like, you're gonna bring this back on me one day. I said, I already know this is coming. I said, 60 bucks ain't worth it. It's just not worth having to face you. So many times we'll do stuff that it's just not worth doing. And we won't stop and think, why, why would we do that? The Lord's trying to get you to remember what sin is. That it's in your life and there's a way to do it. The conviction, you gotta have conviction. No one is truly saved. I don't think anybody ever gets saved just saying words. Uh I am, I am, I had a, a young lady, uh, actually a couple that started coming to church here. I've known for years. And me and her were sitting down talking, and she said, So I assume you believe once saved, always saved. I said, Yes, ma'am, I do. And I do. I believe once Jesus Christ saved your soul, there the nothing in this universe can part you to. Nothing. Period. You're in. I don't care what you do. You could never do anything to separate you from the love of God. You can't do it. It's impossible because he gave it and it's his. I I, I started reading. I said, here, let me ask you a question. I started asking her some questions and I started showing her some things. And and I said, how long is eternal? She goes, forever. I said, now, ma'am, I said, did you get saved? And she said, yes, I did. She said, I know the day I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I know that day. I said, so if you got saved, and you know you got saved, and he says that he gave you eternal life, how long is that for? She goes, I guess it's forever. And she, this big old smile comes across her face, and she goes, so what you're saying is that you've got to make sure you get him. I said, that's the key. It isn't that I just said, if, uh, the Bible says over in, in uh, 1 Corinthians Uh, 15. I love that passage. That's probably my favorite passage for soul winning is Christ died for our sins. Do you believe Jesus Christ died? You can start in that passage and start talking to people and say, well, I don't know if Jesus Christ. Well, then you know that they have a problem with the Lord. So you take it back to God in the beginning. God, do you believe there's a God or evolution? You got to get that thing down. If there's a taint of evolution in somebody's life then that puts doubt on God. If that puts doubt on God, it's going to put doubt on everything he says after that. you got to settle those things in your heart and get them out. And you say, "What? Well, that takes time. We don't want to give the time. I, the Lord is so gracious and merciful, long-suffering. He gives you the time. We want to rush the thing. We want people to get saved right now. I want to get, man, I get calls from people all the time. I got a call the other day from a guy 37 years ago. He said, Mike, you remember me? I said, yeah. Well, if you told me his name, I remember him. I don't remember I mean, by his name, 37 years. You change, I change. You look in the mirror, I look in the mirror. I said, I don't look like I looked 37 years ago. My wife's got a picture of me when we first got married, and I said, I don't look nothing like that anymore. That guy, actually was skinny and, and handsome with his mustache. I said, I can grow the mustache, but the rest of it is gone. Never come back. <laughs> I already know it. It's over. And I'm sitting there going, Lord, I said, he told me his name, and I'm sitting there laughing, and I remember John Keith, And I said, John, man, what a blessing. And I thought he was calling for some spiritual guidance or something like that. He goes, no, Elliot, I'll run across you on YouTube. And he goes, you're the same. He said, you never change, man. You still talk the same way you talked on that ship. And he got saved on that ship. Fritz and myself got to lead me to the Lord. And 37 years later, he's still out there serving Jesus Christ, and he's still going to church with him and his wife. And he goes, brother, he goes, you told me 37 years ago that I shouldn't marry my wife. We were unequally yoked. And he said, you were absolutely right. He said, but I got saved. And then my wife turned around and got saved. And then we started growing for Jesus Christ. He said, I've got, and then he, his issue was the COVID-19 virus thing and his work and everything else. He was just afraid he was going to lose his job and he needed somebody to talk to. And the Lord put him onto YouTube and there he's seen me and he gives me a call 37 years later. And it was just like it was yesterday. I get calls like that from time to time. And I sit there and just start laughing. The Lord said, this is what you did. Isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth doing what you did and all the trouble you went through? And sometimes you forget those little nuggets that are laying out there that's just sitting there that God has for you all over the place. And one of them will call up, and you'll get that call, and you'll say, Man, I told him, I said, Hey, call Fritz, man. He, he lives right down the road from Fritz Beterstadt. Now, that's Norfolk, Virginia. Right down the road could be 20 miles. I have no idea. But right, I, said, I said, John, why don't you go see Fritz? He goes, Oh, man, I did not talked to Fritz in a long time. Why? Things getting away. Who knows what? I said, I'll tell you what, if you go talk to Fritz, I said, and set up a time, I'll fly out there, man. We'll go have dinner and I'll pay for it. He goes, You would do that? I said, Yeah, man, I'll do that. Tickets are cheap now, anyways. I don't mind doing that. The conviction, you know what you have to do? You got to get them convicted. I like being on a ship for three years, I like that. Because I could get up in the morning, I had my rack down on the ship. I could get up in the morning, go do my job. I could preach it, everything and move. Had a track rack on the mess deck with chick tracks all in it. I had plenty of time. I could just watch them guys get saved. And sometimes it took a year. Sometimes it took 15 months. Sometimes it took two years. I left the Scott and nobody got saved. I was so mad I got out of the Navy because nobody got saved on that ship. Now, I don't know if you ever got mad because God never moved. I got mad because God did not move. I had perfect evals. I had perfect everything. I signed a piece of paper. I could become an officer. I didn't care about none of that. Nobody got saved, and I was mad at God. I said, I wasted my time. You said, why would you say that? Because I felt like I wasted my time. You know what the Lord was teaching me? He was teaching me something, and he was giving them times to cook in the incubator. I'm sitting in church one day, three months later. I never quit going to church. I still stayed in church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I'm in church. Anytime the church did something, I was with the church. I was working out of the shipyard, overhauling aircraft carriers. Working, I was sitting there in church. Versus church. I still remember his house church. It's a house church. It wasn't even a church church. It was a house church. And I'm sitting there Sunday morning, going through Sunday school, and before Sunday school starts, This red 72 Chevelle with a black vinyl top pulls up. I know exactly whose car that is. That's Scott Floods. And Scott comes in, he sits right next to me, (laughs) and we're laughing. And Brother Burris starts preaching, and he goes through Sunday school, and he goes through the Sunday morning service. And in between services, I introduce him to him. And then after that, I take Scott up there, and Brother Burris was a great soul winner. You know what I wasn't? A great soul winner. And Brother Burris sits there, and I, I, I introduce him. and say, Brother, I'm going to go outside. And I walk outside and go start praying for 45 minutes. I come back in, and Scott's saved. Uh, he trusted Jesus Christ. Uh, Scott's still saved today. How about that? He's married to Amy, and he's got a bunch of kids. And he's in a church in Norfolk, Virginia, still serving Jesus Christ. That was 85, 85, 86, maybe 87. So 87, 97, 2007, 2017. That's 35 years ago, Scott's still there. You say, what is it? I watched a few minutes. I looked at Scott and said, Scott, I preached at you till the cows come home. Three years, man, I would preached at you. And you'd come in and ask me a question. He's a tech on the ship with me. And he'd come in and say, Mike, what about this? Mike, what about that? Mike, what about this? Mike, what about that? Mike, what about this? Mike, what about So would everybody else. Mike, what about this? We'd fix stuff, keep fixing stuff, all kinds of stuff we fixed. The Lord just touched my fingers. I could lay hands on stuff and just heal it. I don't understand how it worked. I don't even understand if I could do that anymore, but I did. And it worked. And everybody thought, hey, man, this guy's a genius. He's got what about Jesus? Man, they don't see me read my Bible. I keep reading my Bible. I keep reading my Bible. And I tell them, and nobody got saved. I said, Scott, why didn't you get saved? He looked at me with this little Scott-looking face and said, You never ask. <laughs> I said, I'm like, duh. I said, what? He goes, You never ask. Mike, he goes, every time I had a problem, I would come to you and I'd ask you a question. Your testimony is great. And I think you ought to have a sparkling testimony if you can. And sometimes you get little dings and stuff, and don't worry, the Lord can polish those out just like your brass, man. They can keep that thing, get some never dull, Maybe had never dull." Man, you can take Neverdoll and just shine anything up. The dent would still be there, but you can make it look good. Uh, <laughs> that'd be the nicest dent you ever seen. But you sit there and polish that thing up. And, and I said, but Scott, he goes, Mike, he said, I'd feel bad. I'd feel terrible. And I'd come to you and you'd take that Bible and you'd give me comfort and peace about that book. He goes, but I just, I just, he goes, but you never ask. I said, ask? Well, I said, yeah, dummy, you got to ask him. You can do all this stuff and never ask. 15 young men got saved right after that. Boom, bam, 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 bam. Scott went back to the ship and guess what he said. He goes, hey, I know, you know what Scott knew? He knew right where I was at. I was in a house church down the street of some some community. Scott knew that every morning, you know what he knew? He knew every morning and every Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, Elliot was gonna be in that driveway. He knew that. He knew right, how did he know that? He followed me. He was watching what I was doing. How long, I don't know. But some amount of time, he was watching. And he'd sit there and watched, and he watched, and he watched. And one day, the conviction came in enough in Scott's life to get him to say, I'm going to go in. He got enough courage. There was a young lady. Was it this church? Yeah, it was this church. Uh, it, was the only one. it has to be this church. No, or was it the house? Where was that young lady who wouldn't come out of the car? It was right here. Was here yeah. yeah, she was out in the car. And uh, me and Steve was talking to her one day, and uh, I think her name was Lynn, uh, I, I think, but she was a neighbor of Steve and Amy's, and we were down there talking to her, a little skinny girl, 27, 28, something like that. And she came into church. She went home and got, she sit out in the car out here. We had sent three ladies out to get her. She would not come out of the car. She was afraid the building was going to fall in on her. I mean, she'd never been in church in her entire life. And she'd sit after smoking cigarette after cigarette after cigarette, scared to death, she put on the best thing she had at her house. And it was a miniskirt, like, right up to here. And Steve puts it right on the front row. And I'm like, <laughs> so I'm preaching at this side. These people over here thought I hated them probably the whole time because I never looked on this side. I just kept preaching over here. And so I told Steve, I said, don't ever do that again. But I sit there and looked at this. I said, put her second row, third row, somewhere back there, but not up on the front row. I said, I, I said, but look. I said, here's this young girl, scared to death. Conviction was all over her. You know, she went out of here the same way she came in. And I've never got to see her ever again. But something started in her heart that if the Lord continued that thing, it wouldn't be long after that. I bet she got saved, if she continues down that same path. That's what these guys all did. They started continuing. You have to have the conviction in somebody's life for, for a life to really change. So many times we try to win people to Christ, and we, we want out of the goodness of our hearts we want to win them to Christ. And I got that. I'm all for that. But we need to let the Holy Spirit do what he's doing in their life so that it sticks with them. We say, why don't it stick anymore? Because we're, we're cracking the eggs before the eggs are ready. The chicken, I mean, we're trying to put the cart before the horse. And we need to let the Lord do his thing. Lord, you know what he's teaching me? He goes, you did everything right. 365 days a year, three years straight you lived on the USS Scott. You were there 24 hours a day. They watched you every move you did. You messed up. You did this. You did this. He made me quit smoking on the Scott. He made me start wearing suits on the Scott. He made me quit drinking on the Scott. There's all kinds of stuff he took out of my life on the Scott. And he said, hey, and just because you quit smoking don't mean you can sell your cigarettes. Man, I paid $3 a carton for cigarettes back then. Three bucks, man. That was a lot of money. And I'm sitting there going, I'm going to sell these cigarettes. I'm going to get my three bucks, at least $2.95 back. The Lord said, so you're going to send your, sell your sin to somebody else? And that carton went over the side of the ship. There wasn't even a, a discussion about it. I mean, people, I think they were ready to fly over the side of the ship to get that carton of cigarettes before it sunk. I didn't care, man. After a while, you sit there and look at that thing. And you say, Lord. He says, yeah, it's, it's the little things. It's the little foxes that spoil the vines in your life. It's the little foxes that get in there and chew that stuff up. And sometimes we think it's the big stuff. And then, you know what Joseph is doing? He's sitting here. Making sure the conviction is set into their hearts. So many times, we, you know what, the best Christian we can ever be is sometimes just let people wallow in their sin. But we don't have to be there with them. He said, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not them. Sometimes we need to just back away from them. You know, if you live the way you live, and you're supposed to do the right thing, and you do the right thing, uh, you're going to radiate Jesus Christ all over you, and the Holy Spirit's going to eat other people's lunch. It's not, they get mad at you. They'll say, you think you're better than us. Man, the moment, just for a moment, it's like, yeah, I do, I do. (laughs) No, (laughs) but you got to hold that thing back sometimes. Say, no, I don't think I'm better than you. But right is right and wrong is wrong. And sometimes you got to do the right thing and you're thinking you're hurting somebody and you're not. Joseph is crying here. These are his brothers. This is his blood. He knows this is my brother's. And back then, I mean, they loved each other. but Even though they hate each other, they love each other. So, like a love-hate relationship. I don't know how they worked that thing out, but you got to have that conviction. Joseph brought his brothers to the point where they were under great conviction. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were distressed. <laughs> Could you imagine? You know, why, you know You know why I love the Lord Jesus Christ so much? Is I know he knows that I know he knows that I know he knows everything I've ever done. And as a matter of fact, I honestly think, and I'm not Calvinist, and there's not a shred of Calvinism in my body, but I know that he knows I know that I think he knows everything I'm ever going to do. If he's omnipotent and all-knowing, he knows everything, all-powerful. If he knows everything, if he knows the end from the beginning, then he knows in my future what I'm going to do, and he still loves me. And I can walk before him, and the devil can sit there and say, Mike did this, and Mike did this, and Mike did this, and Mike did this. And I can get ready to say, and the Lord said, yeah, uh, wait a minute. As far as the east, uh, there's another verse in there that says, as far as east is from the west, so far I've removed that sin. He says, uh, I don't remember no part of that ever again. He goes, that young man right there has, has pretty much confessed everything that he did and you did too. He said everything he confessed, that anybody did he did. He confessed it all. He keeps everything in front of me, except, well, maybe this and this and this. But, but, he, it, but he does keep everything else. He said, it's gone, man. I don't remember none of that stuff. And just knowing that I can stand before him gives me peace. These boys, you know what they, all his brothers had to do? They had to learn that. They have to go back and see the Father. And they're going to go back with these wagons. And they're going to go back with all this stuff from Egypt. And he says, let, let your stuff go. God's got better stuff than this world ever had. Jacob is sitting back there with a few nuts and a few this and a few that and getting ready to starve to death. Joseph, Pharaoh says, hey, take the best wagons we got, fill them full of stuff. And he tells Jacob back here, he says, leave your stuff. Don't even worry about your stuff. Leave your stuff in, in Canaan. You don't need that stuff anymore. When you come here, you're going to get the best of the land. You know, we got a place in heaven one day you're going to sit there and take your last breath, whether it's by the grave or by the rapture. I believe the rapture is going to happen shortly, uh, maybe somewhere before I get done preaching. Uh, hope. <laughs> but I'm sitting here going, Lord, this thing's going to happen. And what you're doing is you're not trying to get me to put my sins before you so you can belittle me and rub them. That's us. You know, one of our hardest things we'll ever do is forgive somebody. Do you know that we're no different than the person sitting right next to us? I am am no better than anybody else. And the the Lord says, did not I forgive you? Can't you forgive them? Look, I forgave you to the point where your sins were going to throw you into hell. He says, theirs between you two, can't you forgive them? You'll never be like him until you go through some things in life. and be." I am learning at 64 years old. I'm learning this. I ought to write a book of some things I've learned. I am learning I can't make anybody do anything. They're going to do, you're going to do, or somebody's going to do what they want to do. There's nothing you can do about that. But what you can do is you can live a life before them the best you possibly can. So maybe, just maybe, that when they go to do something, you will come to their mind and they won't do it because of your testimony. Just maybe they'll come to church on a Sunday morning and get saved, and just maybe they'll go back to his ship and 15 more will get saved. You say, how do you, how do you believe that? Well, there's a guy on the ship named Leffler. Leffler was an uh, a ET, he worked for me, and he got saved, he was Lutheran, and uh, Leffler was a young man, he didn't know, he was one of the 15 that got saved, and I was walking on the ship, the pier, I was still out in the Navy, and I had to go down and work on a ship that was on a pier that came out of the yards, they moved it down the piers, I had to go down and do some work on it. As I was walking down the pier, I was on the, the right side, and, and here comes the down. The Scott was down there. He came off the, the Scott, and, and he stayed on that side. He goes, I don't want nothing to do with you. I said, I said, the left what's wrong? He goes, He said, I should have never done it. I said, should have never done what? He goes, I should have never got saved. I said, Why? What, what do you mean you should have never got saved? He goes, I should have never got saved. He goes, My whole family turned against me. Nobody wants anything to do with me. I should have never done that. You know, he knew exactly what he did. There wasn't a doubt in his mind what he did. He got saved. Two weeks later, that boy was dead. That's the only time I ever heard in my life. 42 years. He's the only one I've ever heard say I should have never got saved. Two weeks later, they found him. He went to his bed on a Friday night. He didn't have duty over the weekend. He had spinal meningitis, and he laid in that bed sweating and and fever all week long. Before they found him, they had mustard Monday morning before they found him. Uh, And he could have had spinal meningitis before that, and it just really, the fruition came Friday night and over the weekend. Uh, his brain was fried, and they took him to the hospital, and he died shortly thereafter. And I sat there and thought about that thing. I said, "Here's a man who got under conviction, got saved, and then the trials of life became so heavy for him he could not. He didn't understand what to do with them, and he made a statement that he should not make. And God worked that thing out and took his life. Uh, you know, it's a it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God." And you got to know he's really a living God, and he's a great God, and he's a mighty God, and he's there. You got to have conviction. Uh, what's wrong with our, the fear of God? You know, is, our churches have lost the fear of God, and I'm not saying the fear of God like, oh, oh, oh no, man. I mean, it should be. Then if I do that, he's going to hit me with a frying pan. Man, if I do that, oh, it's going to. Don't do that. Don't do that. I was driving down the road one day and pulled a red light. I had my trailer behind me. I had more speeding. I had more. Violations on my vehicle, then Carter has pills. I mean, yeah. I'm sitting there and I know it too. And, and you have to turn left or go straight. If I'd have gone straight, I could have come right here. If I turn left, I go down Grange Hall to my house. And I'm sitting there's this red light. you think I'd listen. And I'm sitting I joined the Navy because I was sitting in the red light one day and I'm sitting there and his thought goes to my head, don't turn, don't turn left. I said, but my house is down there. Don't turn left. Go over to the church. I said, okay, but my house is down there. Don't turn left, and then it quit. So what I do, in my infinite wisdom, I turn left. I didn't drive two miles, and the policeman pulled me over and gave me seven tickets. It was like the Lord saying, I told you, don't turn left. And you say, what is that? It's a fear of God. If I had to sit there and really had the right perspective about the thing, even though I was in my trespasses and sin, uh, the Lord was trying to redeem me out of it. He says, you want to spend the money? He said, I would have rather you give the money in an offering. But if you want to give it to the state, that's fine too. I'm going to take the money out of your pocket. (laughs) It's going someplace. People always say, well, I can't give. Oh, you will, man. You will. Uh, You will somewhere. Believe me, you will give. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, yes, you will too, man. Your toilet will break. Uh, You'll get a flat tire. Something will happen. You say, is God really into that stuff? Oh, I believe he's all in that kind of stuff, man. I believe he's in, I think, I think there's things that he does in life uh, that I bought, a, I bought a van in Pennsylvania. I had to fly over there to get it. And they told me when I bought it, it had a rod knocking. And I said, okie dokie. So me, I, I mean, I get peace about it. I fly to Chicago, fly to Pittsburgh, or fly out there somewhere beyond Pittsburgh, and get a rental car. Oh, Uber, Uber takes me out there. When I pull into the parking lot, the van is sitting right there running and there's no rod knocking. I know what a rod knocks, sounds like. Either he miraculously healed that thing, or it never had a rod knocking. But the Lord knows how to fix things in your life, and he tells you what to do. And you say, why? brother? what I'm saying is Joseph knew that he, just like Jesus Christ knows, sometimes he allows things in our lives until we get to a place where we get the conviction and the strength to overcome those things. You know, at the beginning, if he tells you, why, why when he says that, he's Ten Commandments. I like the Ten Commandments. They're great. I go out street preaching. I got a, I got a sign that has the Ten Commandments on it. And I know they're, they're about this big. And nobody can read those segments as they're going down the road. They just can't read them. But the top, the header on it says Ten Commandments. It's about that big. I know they read those. Everybody knows what the Ten Commandments are. I like that sign. I get more responses from that than anything else. They hate me. I mean, they'll give me road signs. They'll do all kinds of things. And here's the sign, Ten Commandments. It says, Thou shalt not, 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 ten times. And we sit there and say, you'd say, why don't we do that? Because you haven't learned how to do that yet. You realize the Lord is gracious and merciful and kind and long-suffering until you learn that stuff? And he flips your ear like, did you get that? No. Then he rips your ear off. <laughs> did you get that? No. Then he pokes you in the eyes. Did you get that? No. Then he does, when Brother Eric was sitting down there talking about being blind, he was, we, we had that ordination, it was about a two-hour ordination. And he sit there in that table, they put a table up there for him, and he sit there, never once cracked his Bible. He had his, everything is on, on uh, tape. could And he could have went to it with no problem. Just question and verse and question and, and life story and question and life story and question and verse and life story and question with a smile on his face the whole time, blind. And you sit there and say, what was that? He had a love of Jesus Christ. You know what he learned? Is that the Lord did something to me. And he said, even after I lost my sight, he said, I didn't follow Jesus. And I knew I should, but I didn't. He goes, my wife. He goes, my wife picked up the Bible. And she read it. She was going to read it in, uh, I think, 60 days or something like that. And he goes, she read it in 40 days. Through Genesis to Revelation. And then... She did it again. Amen. Then she did it again. He said in 120 days, he said she read that book cover to cover tw- three times. And he goes, the Lord started doing the work in our lives, and he never quit. And he goes, I mean, this guy has a smile that just, I mean, it takes over his whole face. And he's sitting there telling us about Jesus. And uh, the, the 12 people on that board. Now, here's another thing. That isn't just a board to give you an ordination. That is a board, and, and we, we have ordained. We did ordain one guy. We felt so sorry for him, and, and Brother Peacock said he'll get it. He'll get it. He, just, he, he will really get it. He has the right heart. The guy, as soon as the ordination was over, he never went to Bible college down there. But as soon as that class was over, he goes, I am stupid. And he starts a class, and he takes it, and he finishes it in three years. He is now a, a graduate of that school, and he's ordained, and he's out there doing something good. But, but his heart got right. You know, sometimes the Lord takes time. It takes conviction. Psalm one ten 111.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't even understand what the fear of the Lord is until you meet Jesus. And the Lord lets you sometimes stew in yourself until you get to the place you meet him. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. You can't do his commandments, by the way. You know where he's another way to I love him because he first loved me? It's because he did all the Ten Commandments. I don't have to do them. I love Galatians. He says, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Boy, verses like it just stick out in my head. They won't go away. He goes, but once you come to the, the schoolmaster, you no longer need the law. Once, once the schoolmaster goes away, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. But once you come to Christ, you don't need the schoolmaster anymore. He goes, Mike, do you realize you, you're, the law was done by me? I didn't understand that for quite a while after I got saved. Then I started looking back, I said, Lord, how gracious. Here I am. I've been saved 42 years. How gracious have you been with me for 42 years? And let me do all the things you let me do. People say, why did you stay in the Navy? Because I thought I was doing the will of God. The Lord said, yeah, but after 14 years, he says, I think you need to change directions. You know, I could not have done that 14 years earlier. I wouldn't have known how to do that. 14 years later, all of a sudden, he said, it's time to let go. I said, yeah. You know, it still took me two months to figure out to let that thing go. I sit there at my little desk at work and just looked at the pieces of paper in front of me, and I knew that an aircraft carrier sit out in front of me, and all I had to do was sign a piece of paper, and there it was. I had been trained for 14 years for that flat top. I could see my records. The detailer told me that was my job. He said, don't ask me for a sub. Don't ask me for a destroyer. Don't ask me for a cruiser. Don't ask me for a space shuttle. Don't ask me for nothing. You are going to a flat top as an EMO. That's where you're going. That's what you've been trained for. I'm sitting here for two months thinking, Lord, that's the pinnacle of success right there for me. That's what I've been working for. He goes, yep, that's what you've been working for. That's everything right there. 14 years into this thing. Been saved 14 years. This is what you've been working for, And, and everything's lined up. Your evals put you out here. You're lined up for that thing. As a matter of fact, not just one, there's two of them. Choose. There's only 12, but to choose two. You've got two to choose from so you can pick. I'm sitting there going, oh. I said, Lord, but you're going that way. He goes, Yeah, I'm going that way. Two months I'm sitting there just in turmoil. Finally, they come and throw a piece of paper on my desk, and I make a decision. I say, I'm going that way. That moment, within 35, 40 minutes, I was fired being electronic chief. I took care of every naval base in Pensacola, Florida. I took care of about four or five Navy bases. I had 54 techs working for me. Within 35, 40 minutes, they fired me, and I was down at family services taking care of people with their little problems when they come in the door. (laughs) I mean, here's a Navy chief sitting down there twiddling his thumbs until I got out of the Navy. My commander was so mad at me, I mean, he couldn't even talk to me because the record that I had and the places I was going was for a select few and I was one of them, and I turned it down. You know what I realized is the Lord took 14 years to show me that. People say, Well, why did you? I've had people call me fool, idiots. I could, I could have finished the Navy six more years standing on my head. I didn't have to do nothing. My ticket was written retirement. 20, 22 years, I'd have been a commander. I, I've been a lieutenant commander probably. I could have possibly been definitely a lieutenant, maybe a lieutenant commander. And if I'd have stayed a little bit longer, I could have retired as an officer. And I'm sitting there going, No. I said, Lord, you're going this way. He goes, but you don't know what's that way. I said, yeah, I have no idea what's that way. But you're that way, and and I'm going to go that way with you. I'd rather go that way with you and know that I'm with you than go that. And I, I thank God for that all the time. I said, Lord, you had to show me that. You know where his brothers were right there? They had to get to the place where now Joseph is second in command. You know where Jesus is at right now? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he's sitting there. And i got to know, like Hebrews says, come boldly unto the throne of grace. i got to know that i got to come to the throne of grace, and i got to do it boldly. And i got to know that when I get down on my knees in front of Jesus Christ, that he knows what I am. And he knows what I've done. Matter of fact, he knows what I'm going to do. And he still says, come boldly to the throne of grace, that you may find help in time of need. You can find it. It's there. Grace is there. Mercy is there. Long suffering's there. Forgiveness is there. You know what those boys never understood is forgiveness. Now they're at a place where they're going to have to not only get forgiveness from Joseph, but they've got to get forgiveness. But they've already got it from Joseph. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am Joseph. Boy, I remember the first time I met Jesus Christ. I just remember that. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I'm just like, hey, uh, I need you. I don't know what to say. I don't know the words. And that was that night on that back porch. And I didn't know I got saved there. I had no idea. I just know that I sit there for two hours. I thought to God, God's my witness, that I thought Jesus Christ was going to go. I'm sitting on the porch. I can still see myself sitting there. pitch black and white. I'm sitting there just like this. Just sitting there. Come and tell me what I need. I don't know what I need. And I'm waiting, 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 waiting. A couple of hours, man, good two hours. And I'm waiting for him. I thought he was going to come and sit right next to me. I had a fence in the backyard. Don't I still have to say, Lord, that must be stupid. I mean, you probably have to heaven, all the angels are there just laughing. But I think I got a garden back there with a gate on it, and every time you open the gate, it squeaks, it's a metal gate. For some reason I thought he was going to come down in my garden. I come in the garden, you know. And uh, so uh, I'm waiting I'm, I'm waiting in this pitch black night for the gate to go. And through, he walked it through it, comes down and sit in and tell me what I needed. I'm just sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And he never came. And I wait and wait he never comes. And I'm sitting there waiting. And I said, hey, I don't blame you. I wouldn't come for me either. I said, I really wouldn't. I said, you've not done a thing. I've done it all. It's my fault, not yours. And I get up. And I go back in and go to bed. And that was the best night of sleep I think I ever had in my life. I woke up the next morning and my life was changed and I didn't even realize it. Three weeks later, I realized that it changed. And I'm now I'm bawling my eyeballs out trying to figure out what in the world went on. And I know it had to be him. And I said, hey, the only person I can go talk to is my uncle. He's a Southern Baptist preacher. He's got to have the answer. I'll go talk to him and see what he says. You know these boys right here, what they realized is Joseph was the only one with their answer? He had the food. And if you want the right answer, you got to do it. They left. They didn't have to come back. But the Lord got him back. And I'm sitting there going, man, he come back. They come back. Joseph said, even after all the stuff I did to him, they came back. Once they came back, he starts talking to them. I'm sitting there on that porch. And I talked to Rolf, and Rolf drives the women in Christ. I say this all the time. I love it, man. I never forget it. I'm never going to forget it. If you get tired of me saying it, fine, fine, just close your ears like this, do this. And I'm still going to say it anyways. Because he did something for me that nobody else could ever do. And he used a man to take a Bible out of my hand and put another one in. And That did not change what he did to me that night on that back porch. That was one more step in my growth that he was doing. You know what Joseph is doing? He's patient enough with his brothers that he's trusted God enough that if I have to send them away and keep one of their brothers in prison, that they're going to walk away and they're going to start thinking about what they did. And it may take them six months, eight months to finish the food I'm going to give them, I got, the only, I got the only store in that business in town. <laughs> they're going to have to come back to me or they're going to die. And he goes, and I'll just wait. And I'll wait. You know what the Lord does? He knows it's enough that he knows uh, he can wait. And he, he's willing to wait. You know what we need to do sometimes Just learn. If we would spend our time changing our lives to be like his, believe me, he will spend his time affecting other people to see that. And he'll change them. The reason we don't have what we need today is because we never let conviction set into their lives. And we rob them of their opportunity to meet Jesus Christ. They hear of him. You know why our kids go array amok? Do you know why our churches aren't what they should be? It's because we try to get them in and work them to death and never let them meet Jesus Christ. It's relationship and that's it. It is not me and you and I'm the Lord here. No. I'm just the best I am. I love Jeremiah. Oh, man, I like Jeremiah. Jeremiah sits here and says, hey, you're doing this wrong. Doing, I like the, You ever notice the prophets in the Old Testament, Samuel, Elijah, Elijah? You ever realize, you ever watch those guys? They don't have a church. Not a one of them have a church. Not a one of them have thousands and thousands of people under them. Not a one of them's even trying. Not every one of them have the power of God. And they'll walk into town and they'll say something, and walk out and scare everybody to death. And they'll walk out of town. Do you know where the seer is? Oh, you don't want to mess with him, man. He'll turn you to a frog. <laughs> you don't want to mess with that seer. He brings people back from the dead. He does all kinds of stuff. You don't, What he says happens. You don't want that. Yeah, that's what I want. No, you don't want that. Yes, that's what I want. Those guys go in and do what they need to do and get out of there. For some reason, the typical church thinks I've got to build a church with 5,000 people in it and you all have to tithe and give me all kinds of money. That's, that's not the way this thing is set up. You know what you got to do is have a relationship. you got to re- have a relationship. Here's a guy sitting right there, Randy, man. What a blessing he is. He still comes in. He's got issues in life. But Randy went away for a little while. There he is. I knew he was going to come back one day. and It wasn't because of me. It wasn't my great preaching, my smiley face or none of that stuff. I just knew he had a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he's like me, and, and we all do things sometimes that we have to go off and, and learn something, and we learn what we need, and we come back. One day y'all might come, and I won't be here. And you say, don't worry, he'll be back. <laughs> he'll come back someday. Conviction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. You know what the Lord does? He gives us that time for the, to build that uh, fear. No one has ever been saved who has not first been convicted of his lost state. They have to know. You know, just tell them they're lost. The hardest thing we'll ever do is tell somebody they're lost. Show them their condition. Could you imagine Joseph? How about the two men that went in Luke? I'll get back to Joseph's but the two men in Luke the Pharisee and the, the, the publican, they're sitting there, and the Pharisee said, I'm glad I'm not like this publican. That's the typical church member today. Oh, I'm this and I'm that. No, 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 no. We're all like the publican. The publican's just beating himself, saying, I'm worthy to be even. In. The Lord said, he went away. He, this guy, I, like, I got a little note there. Uh, the publican went home dignified. Dignified won't get you into heaven, by the way. But the collector went home justified. The collector went home with his heart right before the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ said right there, you know, Joseph, Joseph sits there and looked at his brethren and his brethren had to get the thing right before Joseph. Then they had to go back and get the thing right before their father. And then the thing is right. Then you move on from there. You say, what is all that? Well, way down the road, about 600 years later, there's a woman sitting out and she gets pregnant. By Gabriel over top of her, and the Holy Spirit overshadows her. And she has a son, and his name is Jesus. And he comes right through the bloodline of Judah, which is one of those 12 boys that are getting right, the 11, 10 boys getting right. And the Lord says, I'm getting ready to do something down the road that none of y'all even know about yet. He goes, But we got to settle this thing here first. This thing has to be done. That can't occur until this is done. You say, well, he could have used Joseph. Yeah, he could have used Joseph, but he wanted to use Judah. And Judah was one of the ten. And he says, that has to be done. That has to be taken care of. You know what he had to do before he never get there? Get the conviction in his life. There is not a one of us in here, if you stop and think that you did not, before you made some major changes toward God, that conviction wasn't present in your life. Conviction, and if it's present in your life, you know the hardest thing? Well, let it be present in somebody else's. Then you got the conversion. I need to stop right here, 718. I'll, I'll continue this on. This is a, this is a good passage. Joseph is the perfect picture of Jesus Christ. And the attributes that he has as he comes down through there, picture Jesus Christ and his attributes to us. And the Lord shows us, I was going to do Daniel tonight, but I never got through Joseph this morning. As he shows you those attributes of Joseph, and you start seeing the nature of my Lord and Savior, you'll start seeing, I see my Lord as a totally different person, as, a, as, a, as a, a God that loves me. Here's the picture of that love, Mike. It's a type Here's the type of that love towards you that I have, and you can come. Then you say, how do you go boldly? Because I know he told me to, and he took me like I was, and he, you ever, I just read through the book of Ruth. You the Red Ruth? Ruth? Ruth is cool, man. Ruth is cool, too. I like Ruth. Ruth is a Moabitess. She isn't even in the bloodline. She isn't even a Jew. She's a Moabite. And all she does is follow Naomi back to the Jew. And Naomi has to go into Moab and lose everything. Lose her husband, two kids, two sons. Lose everything. She goes back with her tail tucked between her legs. Nothing. She's too old to have kids. She's too old for everything. She's a woman on top of that. God can never use me. He says, young ladies, go back to your families and to your gods. Ruth says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to die with you. Your God's going to be my God, and I'm going to be with your people, and I'm going to go, and I'll serve you. And Ruth ends up marrying Boaz. Boaz. <coughs> Just happens to get into the right field where Boaz is. Boaz comes by and sees her. Oh, that's a good looking girl. I think I want to, I think, mm, hmm, she's cute. I like that. I like the cute first. But I like her attitude because I've watched her and heard about her. And she came back and was taking care of Naomi. And Naomi's a porter. And here's this girl out here in the middle of the field trying to get enough food so she can go back and feed herself. And Naomi, make sure you leave a couple hands of purpose for that girl. And don't you say nothing to her either. As a matter of fact, you give her some vinegar and bread and she can eat with us. Boaz starts seeing it. He goes, that's character. He goes, none of these other girls out there, but that one has. You know why the Lord says I got a job for that little girl? She goes, you're going to marry her, Boaz. You don't know it yet, but you're going to. And Boaz starts seeing things, and he figures out he's a conniver like I am. He goes, man, he goes, I'm second in line here. He goes, the other guy, my my other kinsman, he's first in line. He has to... He has to have the first right to redeem this thing. But boy, I got to figure a way to get him into heaven. I, get, I mean, get him out of the way and I get Ruth. I got to get him out of the way. But he's got the first right. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll sit in the gate and he'll come by and I'll get him. And then I'll tell him that he has the first right and he'll agree with me. And then I'll tell him, but you got to take Ruth the Moabitess. She's a Moabitess. She's a Moabitess. And you got to raise up seed to them so that the name of the, her son can be on that land. She's a Moabitess. And he goes, I know he won't do that. So he does it gradually. And he gets right up and, and he goes, I'll do it. And he goes, okay, good. He goes, oh, by the way, when you take the land, you got to take Ruth. Oh, I can't do that. That'll mar my inheritance. He says, okay, that's cool. Give me your shoe. We're done. You know what he does? He takes her. Why? Because he knows he sees something in that girl that he don't see in none of the other girls and the Lord puts it in his heart. That's the one I want you to have because I got a plan down the road and she's going to be the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. You say, what is it? Oh, how about Bathsheba? All you ever hear is people say, oh, Bathsheba, man, her and David. She's the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. If the Lord can forgive her, why can't we? Why do we always dredge up their sin? How about me dredging up yours all the time? Thank God you don't dredge up mine. (laughs) He says, it's gone. Let it go, man. Of course we're messed up. But you know, when you get to Jesus, he can straighten out all the problems. That's why I like Joseph. Father, thank you for your blessings tonight. Lord, this is just such a great story. I'm going to stop right here because I'm going to continue this on. Maybe not next week, but I don't know. Sometime I'm going to come back to this. This is good, just good stuff. Joseph, Lord, all through our Old Testament, Lord, and New Testament, we got pictures of you through there and how you have mercy and grace and kindness toward us. And Lord, I just want to thank you for that tonight. Uh, Lord, thank you f- that you spent time enough in my life to show me that you love me. And Lord, it's taken some time, and Lord, I've done so many things wrong over the years. I, I mean, I just even the last four or five, three, four, five years, two years, the last 15 minutes. And Lord, you know that. I know you know that I know you did it and that you've had long-suffering mercy and grace. And and I love you not because of how great I am, but I know that you love me first. And, Lord, you put up with some things in my life that the typical person on the planet would never put up with. But you've seen something that nobody else saw. And, Lord, you took your time. And, Lord, one day you started working on it. And like a diamond, they say a diamond comes from a, a lump of coal and it's just under pressure for many, many years. And, Lord, you knew that eventually uh, uh, something, a gem, would come out, and and you could polish it up, and you could continue to polish it and cut it until it comes out the way it's supposed to. Uh, Lord, that old song says you're still working on me, and you are, and, Lord, you're working on everybody. Uh, Lord, help us just to see that sometimes hard things have to come in our lives to get us where we need to be, but also hard things have to come in other people's lives. Lord, just help us to see that you're working in people's lives and that uh, we'll have the grace with them that you have. And, Lord, thank you again for the story of Joseph in the Bible. And, Father, his brethren and, and the way it worked out. And, Lord, uh, be with us as we leave tonight and go our separate ways. And we'll praise you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are not going to sing a song. We're just going to end it right there. I would rather just go away. just you go home and think about Jesus, what he'd done for you. And I'm telling you what, if you, uh, the thing that he has done is, is just unbelievable. And one day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to walk through those gates. Actually, we'll fly through those gates probably I don't even know if we'll ever see the gates. Uh, We're just going to be there. He says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And we're going to walk in and we're going to see all that stuff. And he goes, by the way, what's mine is yours. And what's yours is mine. And he goes, it's all yours. It's all yours. Everything is yours. But you're really not going to want none of that. What you want is him. And you're going to get a hold of that thing. And you're going to realize that it's not stuff. It's Jesus. Again, Father, thank you for your blessings, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.